Welcome back for one last rock around the Christmas tree. That's right. It's me, Gavin, the Mixed Reviews resident, Mr. Potter, without the wealth. And I'm still on the hunt for holiday movies I can actually get behind. So I'm inviting ghosts of podcasts past and podcasts yet to come to join me and present to me one of their favorite holiday movies. Who knows? Maybe this time I'll finally learn my lesson that mistletoe is in fact deadlier than a kiss if eaten. This is a The Mixed Reviews special presentation, Gavin's Holiday Gauntlet. This time we have a new voice on the show. Please welcome writer and the creator of Jingle Hell, David Leibowitz. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so this is fun for me because you are the first person that I've had on to uh, to put through this challenge that um, I've never met before. You are actually a stranger to me. <laughs> this is our first time meeting. We were put together through my friend Missy and she. I put out a call if anybody was into holiday movies and, and all this is because my co-host, my regular co-host is uh, off for the season, uh, more power to him. I just don't know how to stop working. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, I need to do something in December. Um, and I was like, maybe I could do a thing about holiday movies. I don't love holiday movies. And I put out this call and Missy connected me with you. And your first reaction was, well, I don't like holiday movies either. <laughs> and I was like, perfect. This is what I want. So before we get into today's actual topic, uh, I want you to introduce yourself and, and maybe tell people a little bit about the Jingle Hell project that you've been doing now for two years, I want to say. Uh, yeah, this is on the second year of it. Um, okay, so first, uh, thank you, Missy. Missy is a wonderful human being. Genuinely. A, she is a ray of sunshine and a delightful person. And she's also too tall, but we can't do anything <laughs> about that. <laughs> Anyone who's a friend of Missy is a friend of everybody, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> But uh, she's wonderful. Uh, I, I'm a writer. I sometimes I use the word journalist, sometimes I don't because I do a lot of different kinds of writing. My writing can primarily right now be found at looper.com. Uh, I write a lot of features, but I spend most of my time doing interviews there. Uh, just actually today, got an, off an interview with someone who's in the new Matrix movie, so. Ooh. Yeah. Excellent. So that, that, <laughs> I know I can't ask more questions than that. I, I always, I'm going to be like, who tell me, but I know I can. So <laughs> yeah, I have to be very careful. Warner brothers is out there. <laughs> um, but I do that. <clears throat> I do features occasionally right over at pucks and pitchforks, which is a uh, New Jersey devils fan blog. And uh, <clears throat> then I guess we should get into jingle hell. It's something I've been planning for a few years, which is, you know, Every year you see those pictures of like every like Hallmark movie where it's like a person in a red sweater and a green sweater <laughs> and they're next to each other. And it's called like, like mistletoe magic or, or just even like deck the halls or something like that. So uh, I am, I'm Jewish in case the name didn't give it away or anything like that. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to watch as many of these as I can given the time constraints and I'm going to review them. And I like to say, I try to get past the Goyish nonsense and figure out what's going on here. Try to figure out the appeal. And there have been some movies I have genuinely liked. I will be upfront about that. There have been some that I found very interesting, not good enough to talk about here, <laughs> but uh, I want to give a special shout out, especially to uh, one called Holly Star, which is not as great as I wanted it to be, but it actually features real puppetry in it. Because oh. one of the characters is a puppeteer and it's like the show, she has dreams that are like a Bunraku puppets. <laughs> so they really went into that, but 
most of them were ones I can't remember, like Christmas Prince knockoffs, uh, everything like that. I am very curious about that just in general and obviously a whole other podcast, but I, I really want to know like why in the like aughts and the early 2020s, there's so many like royal Christmas movies. I digress. It's not what we're here for, but. <laughs> I can't give a brief answer to that, which was one of my coworkers who loves Christmas movies pointed it out. She said that a lot of Christmas movies meant to, are meant to tap into nostalgia. Uh. And when you consider the fact that I don't want to get, I don't want to get pinned down saying this too much, but the target audience for a lot of these movies are, cer- are certain demographics of women. And yeah. a lot of these women, when they were growing up, had, you know, prince and princess fantasies. So it kind of taps into that. I was just going to say, people just really miss the time of a, of not being able to argue with, you know, the people in power. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just really, everybody just has a head-lopping fantasy. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I, I tend to like, oh, it's another movie of all those inbred freaks. Yeah, that's how you know it's not a true uh, royal thing, is the leads are not related. That's... Yeah. <laughs> yes. But you can, uh, if you want to watch me suffer through that, you can go onto my letterbox. It's Leboism, L-E-B-O-I-S-M. You can watch last year's one where you can see me slowly descend into Christmas madness. And this year I came in a little more hardened, so it's a little more aggressive and to the point. That is that is such a first of all, it's it's a project I genuinely couldn't do. So <laughs> I am uh, I think you're taking a bullet for a lot of us <laughs> out there. Um, it's funny one of my one of my previous guests uh, brought up the uh, the concept of passive viewing, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's an interesting thing because I've heard I've heard the phrase before, but I've never thought about about it in terms of Christmas movies, and I definitely think that's a huge part of it as well as the the comfort of the repetition where you don't really have to to be that invested in it because you sort of know everything that's going to happen. Well, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, watching Law and Order in the background or any of these procedurals. 100%. Absolutely. That's a a great comparison. Anyways, we are not here to talk about Jingle Hell, but seriously, do go check that out because it's really hilarious. Uh, But we are here to talk about a very special holiday movie. Uh, David, what movie have you picked for me? I have picked a new one, one that came out just a few weeks ago called Zoe's Extraordinary Christmas. Now, this was a challenge for me because I had actually never seen the show. So this movie is a continuation of the NBC TV show, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which was canceled this summer, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. So and and we'll get into the, the time range for this movie being made. But I was like, OK, I was like, I I'd wanted to watch this series. I just hadn't got the time to. I watched so many movies that it, I get behind on TV uh, and so I, I crammed the show. I watched all two seasons and then the movie. And I loved this pick. I <laughs> actually was a little shocked how into this show yeah. I got and was very happy to watch this film. I have a couple complaints and I'll get into them in a moment. But uh, what was it about Zoe's Extraordinary Christmas that made you want to talk about it? Well, first of all, I love the show. Um It took me a bit to get into it because, you know, I was a big fan of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. You know, that's a great show. And then you go to Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist and there's obvious comparisons, partially because, you know, it has Scholar Aston and it's a show about singing and dancing. But, you know, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was an amazing feat where they built everything from the ground up. And this is like, we're taking existing songs and repurposing them. So at first it felt a little cheap. And I, I don't want to say the first few episodes were bad, but a lot of it felt like the characters were kind of saying cool things past each other rather than talking to each other. I fully agree with that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and it's like, oh, I'm saying something cool. Now I'm saying something cool. But there was always a real heart to the show and I stuck with it. And then like all these little things started happening. Like they started going, you know, there's a character in there, Mo, who is non-binary. And they have an episode where they go into Mo's struggle with his faith while being non-binary. How do you, how shielding that while going there? And then they have uh, another episode where someone who's deaf has a song and, yes. and performs it in sign language. And they start going into these little things a little more granular. And as the characters start to develop, it's like, this is a really good show that I'm emotionally invested in. And the end of the first season almost made me cry. I don't cry at movies and shows, but it caught me. Oh, well, see, I'm the opposite. I'm an emotional monster. And um, and especially, I think if... Uh... I think if, if you have that, you know, I, I lost my father about 13 years ago and it was very sudden. It's sort of the reverse of what happened on Zoe. And by the way, spoiler alert for an entire TV show, but whatever, uh, the, and so that hit me. I think the pinnacle of the show is the end of the first season where, where you get to experience that with her and experience, you know, both that loss and, also, the the way that the conceit of the show allows her to deal with that loss and and sort of um, you know the way it sort of collapses time because it's a TV show, yep. but you get to feel that wide array of emotions. And also, you know, one of the brave things I think is getting rid of a major character like that at the end of your first season yep. because then you get to do a meditation on grief for the second season and also continuing into this movie, because obviously there's a, there's a huge component of that involved. Uh, I, I remember my first Christmas without my dad and it's not easy. It's one of those things that you, you sort of have to go through as I imagine any major holiday where you, where you're used to experiencing it with a specific family member and how you then lose that and realize that you're never going to be able to experience that the same way again. And I think the show did an incredible job with that. Uh, I would agree with that. I haven't, both my parents are alive, but you know, um, on my mom's side, my grandfather had a very long decline in his health. So I got to see that and it was more of an emotional and mental thing than this, but at the same time, there's that. And this, uh, this January, my grandmother died. And uh, it, it's one of those things you have. It's like you go throughout the year, you're like, you know, I'm not calling my grandmother this for my birthday. Right. I'm not calling my grandmother for Mother's Day. I'm not calling my grandmother for Hanukkah. I'm not going out to visit her. And it's one of those things. And the show does a very good job, I think, dealing with grief in general in that regard. And I'm also going to say the moment that the show by the end of the first season, I was completely hooked. I was invested in all the characters. The dialogue was actually people talking to each other. The songs and dances were phenomenal. I got to give a huge yes. shout out to choreographer Mandy Moore, who I think is a genius. Yeah. Uh, but the final episode of the first season, the one of the last things we do is we see them all singing American Pie. And they carve out each little verse to give to a character where the particular lyrics from that verse are meaningful to them. Yes. And I'm like, that's brilliant. I don't know how they did that. Yeah, because, and and I will say, 
Uh, and this is going to be one of my complaints about the movie. And I think th- I think they do an amazing job. And it is not easy, I think, to to pick up one of these jukebox musicals and bend these popular songs to the to the will of the characters because yeah. they you know everybody experiences things differently. And I think they they do an extraordinary job for most of the things. My biggest musical complaint in the movie specifically is they do Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here and to me didn't work at all and that's maybe one of the most emotional scenes in the movie and I was just like this doesn't like these lyrics don't like I know what the point of the original song is weirdly enough it was one of the prom songs at my high school like I'm yeah oh yeah I, I I have very I went to three proms it was not my prom song it was the first prom I went to but anyways I digress uh and I was like this is not like this doesn't work folks but yeah that's that's my one big musical complaint all right well, before I go to that first thing I want to address is like okay I mean I joke a lot about, you know, schools picking uh, good riddance time of your life for graduation, but that's somehow more pathetic because, like, first of all, that's a sad song in general. It's like, oh, what are we going to play at prom? Oh, how about the song about people remembering the band, the band member that took so much acid he never recovered? (laughs) Uh, To keep us a little focused, to go to go on the Zoe's Extraordinary playlist thing, let's I want to go into the, the Wish You Were Here thing as well, but to catch everybody up on this. Uh, second season dealt with her going through grief. It dealt with more of the romance entanglement she has, which I think they handled extremely well in the second season. Yeah. Um, and then it was canceled on a cliffhanger. Yes. And uh, and intellectually, I understand why it was canceled. It was getting a decent rating, but you got to think it's an expensive show to produce. Yeah, especially with all music licensing. I mean, the production numbers and the the crazy thing about Mandy Moore you know she went ahead and directed a, an episode in the second season yep. and it was a massive musical number set to don't stop me now yep. and that was during covid yeah so like i i can't imagine what they were spending on this show yeah that that's the thing is that i definitely feel like they could have given it another chance but i also can't blame them for you know like, like I thought I was kind of surprised Keenan got a second season because I don't know a lot of people are watching that, but I'm imagining the in, it's an in-house show. That's the other thing is that that's an in-house show and this is by Lionsgate. So you have other, there's a lot of right. layers of expense. And after it got canceled, the first thing they did was uh, they tried to move it to Peacock and that didn't work for whatever reason. And uh, I think it's Lionsgate that actually owns the show. So they said, we're going to make a holiday movie and put it on the Roku channel. And that timeline is so bonkers. Like it, it was, it canceled in June uh, of this past, of this year that we're currently in. And uh, when that happened that, you know, they were, like you mentioned, they were shopping it around. Um, they, you know, couldn't find a home for it. Finally, Roku channel enters the discussions in late August, and they announced that on September 15th, production would begin on this holiday movie. Production ran till October 8th. The editors were literally editing this in November for a December 1st release date. And I I will say, maybe my other big knock against it, I I have two more knocks against it. One is that it, it looks just like the show. And like, so it's not necessarily like, 
if, if you're familiar with the show and you love the show, it, it, it there's no loss in quality there. It looks great. On the other hand, it's it looks like a TV show, well, which is fine, you know, but but it does. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, it's like a two hour episode of the show rather than a movie. If that. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. I, and, and just to go back really brief, um, I, I wasn't sure I was going to like the show. I have a I don't dislike musicals. I've never been one of those people that's like Ugh, musicals, but I am picky. And I worried when when this came on, I was like, oh, that feels very Glee to me. And Glee was not something like I was not aware of Alex Newell, who plays her friend Mo outside of the the song, the disco song they released a couple years ago, Kill the Lights. Uh, But that's Glee was apparently where they got their start. And so I was very happy watching this because Mo was the character I connected with the most at first. And I hope, you know, even if the show doesn't come back, which I I'm crossing my fingers and hope it does. Like, I hope Alex Newell gets work after this because they're a star They're, I mean, they steal every scene they're in. Um, but I thought that this was going to be more of a challenge than it was that it wasn't. (laughs) And that's, I think I'm very surprised by that because I do enjoy it as much. And you're right. It is, it is a hard thing to, to tune that jukeboxiness into something that actually carries a plot along because that's the the whole conceit of the series is that you know she it's the, the how she got her powers is a little silly she was in an mri during an earthquake and a basically infinite playlist got uploaded to her head and now anytime anybody feels strong emotions around her she can see the interior of them as a musical number yeah. she calls them heart songs yeah um and, and it allows her insight into other people's personal lives in a way that she didn't have before. Yeah. And I remember like the first time that happened, I'm like, oh God. And then I'm like, <laughs> now it's like every time I hear a heart song, I'm like, we're going to hear something amazing going on and we're going to yeah. see some astonishing choreography that's going to blow you away. So I was worried the when I first started seeing previews for it uh, about the father portion of it, because that looked very, as much as I'm like a very easy crier when it comes to to movies and everything, I was like, oh, this seems like it's going to be real emotionally manipulative. And honestly, I never thought it was. And perhaps that's because, you know, the creator of the show, uh, Austin uh, Winsberg, it, his father went through the same thing. It's a it's a very rare. Um, it's called PSP, I believe. Yeah, PSP, progressive supernuclear palsy, mm-hmm. and it's very very rare and and doesn't affect a ton of people. But it basically your body shuts down slowly. You you don't you can no longer uh, eat food on your own. You can no longer control the muscles in your face, and eventually it gets to a point where you can't breathe on your own. And to watch Peter Gallagher's character go through that and then also have to do these musical numbers was also really, really impressive. Um, and that's mostly the first season, like you said. And then uh, he leaves the show at the at the end of the first season. But he does manage to come back every now and then, uh, specifically mostly when Zoe needs him the most. And yep. I, I think that that stuff is also really effective. Yeah, and like. I don't know if it's like a, his ghost or her subconscious or whatever, right. but it doesn't really matter because the end result is she hears what she needs to hear from him. Uh, that, that leads to me to one of my other, I, I don't like saying complaints, but one of my issues with this movie, we got to start talking about the good stuff about this. Cause we've got, yes. all, Oh, absolutely. Cause we got to start getting is I, I don't disagree about the wish you were here. I think it was like the right, right key, but I don't know if it was the right song. 
But yeah. the other thing is the general plot of this movie is uh, it's Zoe's first Christmas without her father. And she wants to recreate it exactly like her childhood. And I think I would have been a little more amenable to that, except for in season two, it's season two, episode seven, Zoe's Extraordinary Memory, they use the exact same plot line. Right. Yeah, that episode features her having a very specific memory with her father about a very specific event. And she spends the entire episode trying to recreate it specifically and things keep getting in the way. And in the end, she realizes it's not worth recreating something one for one. You have to create your own new memories. And that beat for beat was basically what the movie was. And she wants to do it all the way one way. And a bunch of stuff gets in the way and she gets upset. And then she realizes it's time to make new memories. And I'm like, if they didn't have an episode that had that exact plot line, <laughs> I would have been a little happier. But what makes it work is that everybody is so good in this and it is still a believable plot line for everything that's going on. Yeah. And just the musical numbers are great. The dances are great. The whole story is overall very great. I do appreciate too, one of the things is that it, it, it's it's very clear that she didn't learn her lesson from that episode, but everybody else was sort of very happy to get their mind off of this subject and move on to something else for this Christmas specifically, which like there's something to be said about maybe you shouldn't run away from your problems, but, but it, it's sort of the opposite side of the coin because she wants to be so strict that everything has to be the way that it was when their father was alive and everybody else wants to run as far away as they can from it. Um, her brother and his wife and, and her niece are going to go spend time with her sister-in-law's sister. Her mother was going to go off with Bernadette Peters, who by the way is an icon and deserves to be in everything. Yep. Um, but her mother played by Mary Steenburgen was going to go off to Hawaii with Bernadette Peters for the, and she like forces them out of this, these ideas to spend Christmas with her why didn't you say something before this? I didn't realize how much it meant to me until now and how important I think it would be for all of us to honor dad and find our Christmas joy together again. If you stay, I promise I will handle everything. You won't even have to lift a finger. But what about Deb? I mean, I can't just leave her stranded. Yeah, your mother's not the only widow here looking to escape for the holidays. I spent last year with my son's in-laws, Zoe, their cat sat at the table. Which also, nobody wants to spend Christmas under duress. So <laughs> It's a stressful enough time of year. Exactly. Um, this is also going to be her first Christmas with Max, her current boyfriend, played by Skylar Aston, as you mentioned earlier. And the new wrinkle, the cliffhanger that you were left with in season two, is suddenly Max has her powers as well. He can see other people's heart songs. And so this, there's these new wrinkles into it. I thought the the way that they deployed Max's powers and his uses of them and the way that they worked for him throughout this movie, I really liked it because he clearly, he he's not meant to have the same powers that she has. You know, he was given very small obstacles. Ask me how many people I've already helped after hearing their heart songs today. How many people have you? Three. And it was super easy, too. Like, I heard this one woman singing Umbrella because she thought it might rain outside, so you know what I did? Gave her an umbrella. I gave her an umbrella. Oh. And she was so appreciative, she told me she was going to tell all of her friends to come to the restaurant. That is so great, Max. I think it's awesome that the powers are creating future revenue. Hey, maybe that's why you got them. And it's never that easy for Zoe. It's always like, 
counsel this person whose father died <laughs> and like like tell, fire this person because it'll be better for his life um and so i i think it's really funny that it's very clear that he was just given her powers to be taught a lesson which the movie kind of gets to in the end as well too but it's interesting to watch that all play out during the film because clearly this was going to be a reoccurring motif in season three and to have it just play out in this shortened two hours, I thought was really brilliant because I, I don't know. I think, I think it really worked in a, in a micro sense because I think in a macro sense, it might've gotten a little like, okay, we got it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it definitely makes his lesson at the end, which is I don't need these powers. Now I empathize with what you're going through. Yeah. That's the end result of all of this. That's the most important thing. And I'm sure I would have liked it for several episodes, but you know, <laughs> uh, they they did a good job. Is that it, the actual storyline is a brief one, but I definitely got the sense they explored a lot of themes they would have explored over a season and yeah. got the meaty parts in there. I also like that because of his perspective, we get to see Zoe sing a bunch. <laughs> That's literally where I was just going to go too, because the only times we really got to see her sing on the TV show is when she was under some sort of like where her powers shorted out at one point and she was doing the musical numbers live for people, which was when we got the great, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, which is hysterical and embarrassing. <laughs> and then in the second season when she was on drugs. Yeah. And, and, but so it was cool to actually see her because Jane Levy puts so much energy and so much emotion in, into these that I am not a Taylor Swift fan, yeah. but her version of bad blood, I was like, Oh, she's fucking angry. Yeah. I'm down for this. Oh, it's so sad to think about the good times you and I. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. You know, it used to be bad love. So take a look what you've done. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. Hey! Uh, and you know, Swifties come at me, I don't care. But uh, <laughs> Bad Blood is one of Taylor Swift's worst songs, as far as I'm concerned. Well, specifically worst singles. I'm... I should say worst singles. The only version of it I like is the one with Kendrick on it. Yes. Yes. It's also the first time we've ever experienced, um, it's not a mashup because the songs never cross over, but two songs at once, which is her seeing Max's heart song where Max is like, you don't need to go crazy for Christmas. We can just go away, you and I. And he does just the two of us. And it keeps cutting back to her in maybe the most manic version of We Need a Little Christmas I've ever seen. She looks like she looks like she's being held hostage during that. And it's so good. It's such an amazing performance. I was also a little surprised. I was like, we've really never done just the two of us before. <laughs> but they hadn't. And yeah. it, it works perfectly. Just the two of us. We can make it if we need a little music. Just the thing that gets me is when they cut back and forth for that scene, you know, you see him, he, he's out there and there's people meandering in the background and just having a good time. 
and she's sitting on these steps and there's like a like dozens of people by her and everybody's doing the exact same coordinated hand movements and clapping <laughs> at the exact same time. And that's why I'm one of the reasons I say Mandy Moore is a genius because yeah. she's able to get all these people in frame doing the exact same thing at the exact same time who you are never going to see again. Yeah, it's brilliant. I, I'm a I'm a former dancer years ago. I, um, I'm much too fat for that now. But so I've always been a huge dance fan and I'm a big fan of So You Think You Can Dance, which is how I knew about Mandy Moore. Um, of course, then she went on to, to do the choreography for La La Land and, and, you know, get all the praise for that. But I, I'm so happy to see her get work in something that's this mainstream and consistent because I, I think it gets other people to know her name and also to acknowledge that like it takes a lot to choreograph these numbers to to get them in sync as much as they are. And yeah, she she is really a genius. And it's just like I love her, her small ones are good, but I love when they let her do a big number with a lot of people like from season two. Don't stop me now where they had. Yeah, there must have been like 100 people there dancing along to that one. Yeah, I loved uh, Zoe had this line during that where she's like, yeah, everybody in a three block radius. And that it felt like that. It was also, like I said, that's the episode that Mandy Moore, it was her first directorial effort as well, too. And, you know, props to her because it the whole episode looked really great as well, too. And that's not easy to pull off for a first time director. But, you know, choreographer, she knows movement. So it really helps out. And I also think that she's someone who really understands how to tell a story through dance. Yeah. Because, you know, I think, Dance is a lot like action movies and such in some way, which is I think a lot of people get focused on just doing a lot of really cool moves and really cool stuff. But you need to be telling a story with what you're doing. There needs to be a narrative to what you're doing. Absolutely. And she's able to put a narrative in all of the dances about how, how like with Bad Blood, you see Zoe get angrier and angrier with her movements. And with Need a Little Christmas, you said it's manic, is that it starts out a little bit and then you see her ramp it up each time with yes. more and more people. <laughs> and, and, and like I said, Jay Levy's so good at, at playing that, at like really embodying both the physicality of her movements and her face where she just, you get to the end of that need a little Christmas number and you're just like, oh, she is desperate. She really wants this to happen. So just moving on in the, in the movie, obviously like things can't work out perfectly. Her perfect um, Christmas goes awry. And eventually she realizes once again, much like she did in the the standalone episode, that it's maybe not about repeating the memory to make it perfect. It's making new memories and and moving on and that her father will be there when he needs her. Uh, All while this is happening, Mo, her best friend, is off having their own plot line. And that's my other, you know, small knock. But it's a it's a fun plot line. But it feels very like TV, like like Mo should have had more interaction with Zoe, I think, in this episode. But Mo, who is recently in a serious relationship uh, with a with a man who has children, um, goes to his daughter's Christmas pageant and takes over the whole thing and makes it about themselves. And that's the entirety of their plot line. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm going to say, I just, I love Mo. I was a little yeah. skeptical at first, like, like everything else. I'm like, Oh, we're just getting another big brash person who's going to be a counter. And then Mo turned out to be a very nuanced character. Yeah. And 
this is also, I think, the only show. This happened in season two where somebody actually asks pronouns. Yes. Yeah, where, where Mo says uh, it's normally he, but it could be they, she. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, and and the only reason I keep referring to yeah. Alex Newell as they is just because on, on their Wikipedia under pronouns, it has literally all those listed. It's yeah. He, she, they, like they, because Alex Newell himself, themselves doesn't really care as long, you know, as long as you're not, you're being respectful yeah. as everybody should be. Oh, absolutely. But like, Alex Newell just has a hell of a voice. It is just yeah. amazing, that voice. Uh, but I will say that one of the knocks I do have is, um, I don't even know if it's a knock, but I think it is kind of like the TV thing is Alex, Mo was off doing his own thing. Yeah. And his own thing was kind of interesting, but it was also like a pretty big change to happen and it resolved pretty peacefully. Yes. And I think that's something that would have played better over a season. I yes. think if you had a season where like for two, for one episode, you saw Mo go and see a pageant happening. And then the next you saw Mo slowly take over. And then you saw Mo take over at the men. And then another episode, you'd get the fallout. It might flow a little bit better, but like, like you just watched Mo hijack a child's pageant and his, <laughs> and his father's like, I'm just mildly disappointed in you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, like, like I know relationships and everything are a little weird, but it felt like it could have been a little bit harsher. I feel like if it were over a season, it might've resulted in like a temporary breakup or a separation and then getting back together. That just felt a little smashed. I loved every part of it, but it felt a little smashed and separate. Yeah. Well, cause it's much harder when there's children involved too. And, yep. and you want to be obviously as, as somebody from the outside, who's coming in and, and, early nonetheless really early on in this relationship too like they it feels like mo and, and his new boyfriend perry like it feels like they haven't even been together for a full year because perry was just introduced at the start of season two and so it, it it was one of those things where it's like oh this feels like a much deeper longer conversation but we, we need to wrap this up i guess because this is the entirety of season three in in 99 minutes yeah when it comes to to Zoe's personal journey, obviously, like th- this is a lesson she needed to learn, as we mentioned again. But I also do love the the stuff between her and Max. I actually think uh, Jane Levy and Skylar Aston have a lot of chemistry together, like a lot of great chemistry and hard to fake chemistry. And it's to watch them both experience the sort of like the quote unquote superpower of experiencing heart songs was also really cool. But and spoiler alert, also, but you've listened to this podcast long enough that you know that spoilers aren't a thing really. So uh, he loses his powers. They leave him in the end and she's left alone with the powers. But as you mentioned, he now has empathy for what she's going through, but that scene particularly, which is set to Cindy Lauper's time after time is really beautifully done. And his acting when he's like, I can't hear you anymore is heartbreaking and i i don't know i I was really i wasn't expecting it and maybe i should have been because i was very clear to me that like this was like a season arc in one movie but i thought i was like oh well this is the new normal and for him to lose it that quickly but it totally made sense for his character's journey and i was really impressed by that decision yeah i don't think it's an easy one I was going to say, yeah, like I said, that was something that the writers probably had to spend so much time thinking about is how are we going to do this? Like, 
like the writers are still probably hedging their bets that there might be a season three. And I will say that the movie wrapped it up enough that they don't really need a season three, but they've kept right. enough plot lines open that they could have a season three. Like, like, you know, they have, uh, we barely talked about it. Like, like Maggie, um, Zoe's mother starting to date again. Yes. You know, yeah. Yeah. Like they kind of did that and that didn't work out. And she goes to Mitch's grave and she's like, I'm, I'm going to be myself again for a little bit longer. Like that's something that could be opened up in a third season. Like she starts dating again or anything. There's just a lot of open, basically there's, there's nothing that needs resolving, but there's things that could be continued. Yes. That's a perfect way to describe it. My one hope that if the show does continue, and apparently it has been incredibly successful for Roku. A lot of people watched right. it. It was one of the most watched things uh, as a Roku original. But my hope would be actually be, and I know this sounds kind of odd, but I'd like to experience more of who Zoe was before she got the powers. Because if the powers are about her learning to look up from her computer and see the things in front of her or to be more empathetic. I, I was like, well, then we haven't, we never really got to know the Zoe prior to the powers, at least not that much. We've had small glimpses. There's the episode in the second season, which flashes back to the, the first time she experienced loss. And we got a little bit in the pilot of, of pre that, but I'm, I'm curious as to who she was beforehand. And I don't, I obviously don't think she was like a monster or anything, but I feel like she was probably much more closed off. And I think it would make her character's arc make a little more sense to me. Once again, not a complaint because I love the character that she is, but I think it would just flesh her out just a tiny bit more. And maybe and maybe that's like too much. I don't know, but I, I'd be interested in seeing it. Uh, I get what you're saying because a concern that happens with any show that goes on a while is the characters have to keep changing and it's very easy to bring the characters back to where they were. And I think that, like, you know, I, I love The Good Place, but I think this happened at the beginning of season four of The Good Place. You're which, correct. <laughs> which is, you know, obviously I'm not just talking about the resets, but like by the beginning of the, of the episode four, season four of The Good Place, like Tahani was vain again and Jason, a lot of what he was done, Jason was just the stupid guy for the first half. And then by the end, everybody had evolved again. But yeah. this is just something that happened. It also, in a way, happened in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is the fourth season, is a lot of the characters were stagnating in a way that didn't benefit the storyline. This is just a real risk that happens. And something I'm kind of afraid of is this is a show that has kind of romance at its heart. And, like, we've already been over a, bit, a couple big romantic arcs. And I was worried, like, you know, if we have season two, a season three, will Mo break up with Perry? Will... Right. Will... Uh, will Max and Zoe break up? And I'm like, I'm worried that might happen. And if something's well written, I'll go wherever it goes. But sometimes things have to happen just because you need the story to keep moving. And the show had already been guilty of that, I'll be honest, because in the third, in the second season, you know, they introduced a possible new love interest yep. for Zoe. And then within the like second half of the season, wrote him out. <laughs> and, and I was like, you know, I mean, that does happen in real life. But at the same time, I was just like, wow, that was clearly a plot line that didn't go where they thought it was going to. And they were just like, it's messy. We got to get rid of it. <laughs> I, I do know they had to rewrite parts of season two. Oh, OK. Uh, what happened is originally Lauren Graham was going to have a bigger part. Yes. Yeah. Because she was the main character in season one and then had to leave because of the Mighty Ducks well, yeah. TV show. I believe. Originally, what was going to happen is she was going to be in both. But COVID changed the shooting schedules. So she can only do the Mighty Ducks. 
Ah. And supposedly they were going to bring her back for Zoe's Extraordinary Christmas, but they couldn't find a plot line that would make it work. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't want to do that as like a throwaway character. You don't want to have her pop in as a cameo, especially where they left her character as moving to a foreign country to take over a different part of the business. It'd be strange to just have her pop in. (laughs) This is a bit of a non sequitur, but I really want to talk about Max for a minute here because Max was the Jewish character and they made a big point that he was Jewish. Uh, I I love the bit where um, they're all around the tree and Max gives his gift to someone else. He said, I've already got eight nights of these. Yes. But I can tell you this, that as a Jewish person who has dated Christian people in the past, um, a lot of what he has, what he went through rings very true to me (laughs) is um, like, he was never really judged for being Jewish. It was never an issue. Everybody kind of liked him for it. Like, uh, like I did in college, I dated a girl who came from a Catholic family. She herself was not particularly Catholic, but parts of her family were very Catholic. And I have a very, very positive memory. One of my positive memories from that relationship was going to her family's house for Easter. And this kind of reminded me, it was like everybody was like super nice to me. And I got to take part in some of their traditions. Uh, like the religious ones were very brief. And I just kind of faked my, <laughs> faked my way through that. I'm good at that. I have years of experience, but like, getting involved in like the Easter egg hunt and like all the great Easter foods they had. And it's like nice being part of there. Cause that's something that's not part of your life. And you're like, Oh, this is really interesting being part of this. And everybody was really receptive to Max, but like he was never not very Jewish during this entire time. Yes. Like, like, you know, he, he didn't understand what was going on when they were picking out the tree. Um, he uses the word Christmas for once, which I got a huge kick out of. <laughs> Um, a big part of this is that, uh, Zoe's mom, Maggie clearly, uh, develops a crush on the guy who runs the tree farm and Max invites her, invites him to the Christmas party without telling anybody and yes. the slow realization, um, that he's singing a Hanukkah song in the background. It's like, Oh, he's the guy who did this quick question. Did you invite the Christmas tree lot guy to our Christmas Eve dinner? You thought I did this? I thought you invited him. Why would I do that? I don't even know that guy. Okay, well, if neither of us invited him, then... I think I know what's going on. He was very Jewish throughout this, but he was never judged for being Jewish, and it read very true to me as, like... Like, you know, I'm always uncomfortable around religious aspects of holidays because, you know, I didn't grow up with that. And there's obviously some tensions, but I'm always for things that bring families together and have fun traditions like that. And it's fun to be along for the ride for that. And I very much got that sense from Max. For the last seven years, my boyfriend has gone through that because he is Jewish. I am not, but my family has never been particularly religious. Uh, We had, um, (laughs) we had a a corner of the dining room that had a couple crosses in it. My dad would always be like, that's the Christ corner that makes sure that we go to heaven when we die. That was it. That was religion for us. (laughs) So, so like never a big deal, but I do worry when, when I bring him home for Christmas, I never want him to feel alienated. So I'm, I'm happy that, you know, you have positive memories of that and hopefully he he's had a positive experience, but luckily we've never had to make him participate in any 
religious portion of it because we don't participate in the religious portion of it. I had to basically hold hands while they said grace, which you know what? Oh. You know what? You're not really mentioning parts of it, but you know, Judaism has its own prayer for the food. So like, right. here's the thing, like, I don't want to get too much into Judaism, but every culture has something that we thank you for this bounty of some very, so I'm on board with that. But what was very funny is that the people around me didn't think I knew what grace was. And I'm like, <laughs> but like, you do realize that Jews understand most Christian things. This is the society right. we live in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I'm A, sorry, and B, hilarious. <laughs> like, uh, like I, oh yes, our foreign custom of being thankful for the food. <laughs> like, yeah. I did have to hide that I was Jewish from them. I don't know how a five, six brown haired, brown eyed man named <laughs> Leibowitz hit it, but I did it. Congratulations. <laughs> you are Goy of the Year. Um, <laughs> uh, I, David, I'm so happy you picked this movie. Is there any final thought that you want to have to wrap this up? I know we, we were kind of all over the place, but this is a newer movie and it's free and available to watch. And I, I think if you have not seen the series, it might be a little detrimental, though they do do a very good, very concise like wrap up at the beginning of the two seasons. But is yeah, is there anything else that you'd like to add about this movie? Uh, first, I would say watch Zoe's Extraordinary's playlist. I know we were kind of waffling on it at first, but stick with it. It gets really, really good. Uh, please watch the movie when you're done with it. it it's a good, <laughs> what I said, it's a, one of the things I liked about this movie is that the religious aspect didn't really come into this. And I'm not saying it wasn't entirely there because it's part of it, but it really got to the important thing about this, which is that it's about families getting together and taking a break from what they're doing and sharing, sharing time with each other. But it also acknowledged that it's a genuinely stressful time of year and it found a way to balance that. And frankly, I like a lot of Christmas movies that aren't too Jesus-y, if that makes sense. I'm with you. <laughs> is that I feel like there's certain sentiments about Christmas that transcend any religion. And I didn't feel out of place watching this. I didn't feel bad watching this. I loved watching this just because I think it's a really good story about characters who are trying to do a certain thing at a certain time of year rather than it being, you know, like a Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, I mean, it's more about tradition than it is about necessarily absolutely being Christmas. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I mean, I, th I think this was such a wonderful film to, and I'm glad you introduced me to the, to the show in general, because yeah. I, I did have a really great time yeah. uh, watching all of it. Um, I'm always glad that more people are watching this is I I've been preaching it for a long time. Please watch this. So, and, and it is, you know, it does fall outside of the lines of like, I do think it's one of those things where like, maybe if you don't love musicals, still give it a shot. It's not your typical thing. And it does a good job of, of, of capturing that, you know, without ever entering a very cheesy area that it, it you know could easily fall into i think that's the thing is that it starts out kind of cheesy and then it ends up genuinely emotional and yeah. the way you explore not just the main characters but everybody they come across everybody they come across has an interesting story and they have like a very diverse cast with a lot of different stories and you're gonna see a lot of different perspectives in this and i think that's the real strength of this is you see so many perspectives in a way that's not cheesy that's not cloying that's really just kind of beautiful really and that's a perfect way to describe it at the end of each of these episodes i've been trying to think of what i learned from this movie and i 
I think you just hit it right on the head that, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, about the religion. It doesn't have to be cheesy or cloying. It, it, sometimes it's, it's literally just about being around the people you love and, and experiencing that together. And so I thank you for that. And David, I'm going to give you a chance to plug anything that you want. You can tell people where to find you online, uh, how they can get in touch with you. If you want them to get in touch with you, <laughs> um, you could do that now and you have as much time as you want. Okay. That's easy. Uh, on Twitter, it's Lebowism at L-E-B-O-I-S-M. Uh, follow me, tweet at me. If you saw this, I'd love to meet anybody who was listening to this. Um, <laughs> Uh, so would I. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, Instagram is the same, but fun fact about Instagram, I never post and I post like a real once every like 16 months, but I'm on their same name. Uh, follow me on Letterboxd so you can watch Jingle Hell so you can see the Christmas movies I generally hate. Um, I want to give a shout out to Christmas Coupon, which is the worst movie I have ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> And I have been a connoisseur of bad movies, both good, bad, and bad, bad. And this goes beyond bad, bad into a different realm that I didn't know existed. Wow. That's um, impressive. So please follow me on there. Follow me on Letterboxd. Um, you can read me on Looper as of now. You can read a lot of the interviews I've done. And uh, that about sums it up. Yeah. So that's what I'm <laughs> plugging right here. Excellent. And thank you so much. I, I'm really glad you were able to take time out of this month to come and be on the show with me. I really appreciate it. And, My holiday's uh, over. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You got it early this year, whatever. <laughs> um, which, by the way, my, my boyfriend is very hates the idea that it's eight nights of gifts. And I, I've had to cut back the last couple of years because he's like, I don't need a gift every night. Whereas oh. I, was, I was like, you know what? If I if this was me, I'd be like, give me a fucking gift every night. <laughs> yeah, I was like that when I was younger. And now I don't even know what I want as a gift. So <laughs> he got an ice cream maker. He should be happy. Oh, that's more than <laughs> Oh, he's the virtue who can digest lactose. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. Uh, thank you so much. And I hope everybody listening has a great holiday. Louie and I will be back in 2022. And I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I've enjoyed doing it. And thank you, everybody who participated as well. Chels, Morgan, Kyle, Jim, and you, David. And we'll see you in the new year. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to this The Mixed Reviews special presentation. If you want to contact us, you can always find us on Twitter at, at The Mixed Reviews. You can find us on Facebook, just search The Mixed Reviews. You can always contact us by our email, reviewsmixed at gmail.com. Feel free to check out our Instagram at the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you want to continue listening to the rest of our episodes, subscribe on any major podcast app. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, Audible, Amazon. And if you do listen to us on Apple or Audible, stop by, leave us a five-star rating, and write a little review. We'll read it on the show. Once again, thank you for listening, and I hope you're having a happy holiday. Yeah.